Hello, this is David Diamond. And Zero. From, from the, the Kings. Kings. And you're listening to Michael's Record Collection. Oh. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Michael's Record Collection, where we talk about great music with the people who make it and the people who love it. This is episode number 131, and I'm your host, Michael Citro. We're excited to bring you my interview with David Diamond and Mr. Zero from the Canadian rock band The Kings. You may remember their big hit in 1980, This Beat Goes On slash Switchin' to Glide. I guess it only made it to number 43. Should have gone much, much higher here in the U.S., but an excellent song and just one of many from this excellent band that not enough people south of the Canadian border know about. The band put out a new album in 2023. It was their first album in 20 years. It's called The Longest Story Ever Told, and I'm really happy that I got to talk to Dave and Zero about this record. Doing the interview was even a little bit like show and tell. They've got all this great memorabilia and, and all these historic artifacts from throughout their career that they were showing me throughout the interview. It was really cool. Before we get to the interview, just a quick reminder to visit michaelsrecordcollection.com where there are links to everything, including how to sign up for my free weekly e-newsletter. There's also a link there to my Patreon. You can go find out what you can get extra benefits-wise for supporting this independent endeavor for as little as $2 a month. And of course, the higher your level of support, the more benefits you get. There are also links there to all my social media accounts, including Twitter at Mike's Records and Michael's Record Collection on Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, and TikTok. Love to hear from you, so drop me a line at michaelsrecordcollection at gmail.com. All right, now that all the housekeeping is out of the way, let's get to that interview with Dave and Zero from the Kings. Here we go. I have very special guests for this episode. The Kings are here. David Diamond, Mr. Zero. Guys, thanks for your time. Good to be here, Mike. Michael. A brand new album uh, came out in 2023, The Longest Story Ever Told. Of course, we're all familiar with The Greatest Story Ever Told, but this one is The Longest Story Ever Told. Uh, came out in 23, 20 years from uh, 2003's Because of You. So um, was it just time to make a new record? I mean, uh, why, you know, why 2023 uh, as opposed to any time earlier? Well, it took, we started it. Four years ago or something uh so covid and uh and it just took yeah the decision was made years ago to do it but it took a long time to get it done mm. okay you know? we had a bunch of songs that we had been working on pre-covid times and then uh it got to be well we, now we're what are we going to do here like we can't go play any gigs we had a bunch of shows canceled and Mm. Um, we had songs that we had started working on, you know, years ago that we just sort of shelved because of the, didn't get them finished. And we got to uh, polish them up there all through the, the two years and uh, ended up with a 10-song collection that was decent. Okay. Well, I think you're being modest. It's a pretty good album. Uh, <laughs> saying it's decent. And I, I'm, I have some questions about the record, obviously, but I want to start out by asking you guys what I ask all of my guests and you guys can take turns on this. What was your first favorite record? The first record that really spoke to you when you guys were young. Hmm. A good one. Way back in the dusty mental days. Um, 
I don't know. Um, I remember hearing Meet the Beatles, and that was uh, quite a revelation. Um, and, of course, they did, you know, Till There Was You on there, you know, which is not your average uh, rock song for your teeny bopper listening audience. Yeah, exactly. You know, <laughs> and I, I remember thinking that the variety on that, and of course, now you realize that they basically did it live off the floor because it was all those songs were in their uh, their live act, you know, after banging their heads against the wall in Hamburg and playing a million gigs and everything, uh, they were ready to go. And so the, <laughs> the singing and the, the variety, like I said, on there was, that's what I remember about it. <laughs> I used to uh, listen to all the early Beach Boy songs and uh, Jan and Dean, all that, that beach stuff. And I loved the harmonies. And uh, this was just before the Beatles came out. I remember learning, you know, she's real, I'm a 409, you know, a little kid pointing on a guitar. The Beatles came out again, yes, like Zero said. Sergeant Pepper was just a mind blower of all, of all records of what I remember back in the day that really influenced a lot of people. You know, the songs on that album were just incredible. That's about it. I don't know. There's many great, many great songs. Yeah. Now, are you guys from musical families? How, how did your your journey into music start? Uh, um, no, actually, our, both our folks were uh, proprietors of shops downtown in Oakville, Ontario. Um. I didn't have much. Uh, my folks weren't really musical. My mom took piano lessons when she was young, but it's kind of skipped a generation there because both my parents' sides, of my mom's side, her dad was in the Montreal Symphony, and he was the president of the musicians' union there. And my dad's family, I didn't realize until recently, uh, because I did one of those DNA tests, uh, and I met a cousin that I never knew I had. And she said that my dad's side of the family from my, we come from Quebec, but they were all, they all had bands and played all over the place. So I didn't know about that till just a few years ago. So it skipped a generation. So who knows what's behind there, right? Yeah. And my family, my, my, uh, my uncle was a baritone in a, in the uh, church choir. And, uh, you know, led the church choir. He had the real old, big boy, baritone voice. My dad played keyboards, not, not very well, but he played, we always had a, you know, either a piano or, a, or a, an organ in our house. And my brother started playing guitar. And that's when I was a little kid. I was used to strum on his guitar case and lay an arm over top of it before I actually knew how to play. But other than that, yeah, no, there's not been not many, you know, Nothing. We just had to power through, I think, you know. And my folks, you know, in the music in the house, it wasn't that much either. It was uh, it was a stereo or a record player, I should say, in the basement. It had one speaker. But and they had, you know, Camelot and <laughs> yeah, right. my sound of my fair lady or whatever down there. I'm pretty sure my parents also had Camelot. <laughs> Perry Como and stuff like that, right? <laughs> so you you guys were from Oakville, Ontario, um, most of you guys, when when the band started. Tell me about the formation of the Kings, because you guys, obviously, at some point, picked up an instrument, you learned how to play it, and 
you got a band together. Yeah. Um, we went to the same public school and high school together, Zero and I. Yeah, and so he was playing, and then I guess we were all just playing around, and my brother was in a band, and I saw his, I used to follow them around, and there were all the bands in town, I saw them, and I saw him play, and and then I was asked into this other band, which had our original drummer in it, which was after he was in the same <laughs> another version of that because you know how that small town with many many musicians all switching up different bands yeah so so that's you know but i always thought you know i could be a decent musician but songwriting was going to be the key to any kind of success uh especially after you know with bob dylan and the beatles and they changed the whole landscape from the Sinatra years of, you know, or Elvis, where you don't write your own songs, you're just a star singer. Uh, and all those, the folkies, I guess, started it. And then that came into the rock scene with the Beatles and it became imperative to write your own stuff. Of course, some did, some didn't. But that's what I always wondered. If I didn't know that I could do it. I thought I might be able to do it but you don't know until you do it. And so, <laughs> but I knew I couldn't do it on my own. I needed a collaborator. And so I was living in Vancouver, British Columbia, and that's where I met Sonny Keys, our keyboard player. And he and I started working on some songs and we got a few songs that were actually finished and we demoed them. And then we didn't have a band and I realized, you know, I mean, Sonny's a great singer, but he's not a real lead vocalist. And so I thought, well, I know these guys back in where we come from. And I went back and I approached Dave and our original drummer, Max, and uh, to come and try and do a session. And then we did. And then we realized there was something pretty good about it. That's sort of the short story of it. And we flew out to Vancouver and did some record demos with uh, Zero and uh, Sonny's songs. I had a couple in my pocket that I thought we could try, and we did, and it was uh, sort of was exciting. So uh, I think that was like the the seeds to it right there. Then yeah. we came back to the east. We came back to Toronto area, and there was more gigs out here. More Vancouver's kind of an isolated place back then, and Toronto had more scene with clubs and everything. So that's when we started rehearsing and uh, writing, and for years we just in the basement grinding it out yeah so this would have been the late we, 70s yeah yeah mid to late 70s and we found we were good at writing together zero and i you know i could come up with some decent melodies and he's the lyricist and uh it would uh gelled pretty good we put some good songs some good lengthy prog rock songs back in the in the day of the yes and um genesis, and genesis. we had like 10 minute long songs and, not commercial at all, you know, just these uh, self-indulgent things. And uh, we weren't really getting anywhere, you know, <laughs> nothing much happened. And then we, as you saw in the documentary, we entered this talent contest on this radio station homegrown thing. In Toronto, yeah. And there was 600 entries into that thing, but we won it with one of Dave's songs. Uh, Don't Let Me Know, yeah. which is on the first album.
And uh, we won it. And uh, we thought, wow, I guess we better write some commercial songs. Maybe that's a better idea. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah, that funny was... that you were into the progressive rock because uh, the, you know, you guys are, are known for your power pop sort of um good time party rock and roll and uh i always think of, i always thought of you guys over the years as sort of the canadian cheap trick i don't know if you like that oh, comparison no we've heard that a lot and that's we don't mind that one bit i don't think that's good no, good comparison they got a great singer so so do we great band yeah yeah, but so. anyway yeah no, when we started like when the cars and uh, elvis costello and all that and it came out there in the late late 70s we started learning that a commercial song would sell better than some big long thing. And that's how we started putting the Kings Are Here album together. So the Kings so we are were here. doing, we were doing that kind of stuff in the bars as we started out. And as a result of that contest, we made, met a couple of uh, a guy that sort of started co-managing us with our other manager and uh, sort of, you know, you, you get more gigs if you play more current, type material and so that's when we started doing the cheap trick and surrender and the cars you know and uh elvis costello and all this kind of stuff and we started you know got our hair cut and uh, started looking more the part of the the new wave thing we were never a punk band or yeah. really a new wave. we're always just a rock band mm -hmm. you know but the record companies always like to have a label on the can of beans that they put on the shelf you know so yeah. gotta gotta know where to to file you in the record store. that's it that's that's exactly right. right but you guys you guys worked start working on your your first album and the story goes as far as i understand it is bob ezrin came back to his old haunt he had completed pink floyd's the wall and you guys end up on your very first album getting a bob ezrin contribution that must have been amazing well, it was, uh, well, yeah, he had recorded Alice Cooper and uh, uh, he worked with the Guess Who at this particular studio in Toronto, Nimbus 9. And uh, that's why he came back from recording The Wall. He'd been in England for, I don't know, a year or more. He lived in, he lived in Toronto and uh, he came in to visit his friends and there's us there working in the middle of the night on like paying our, you know, our dues. We're trying to record an album at the, in the midnight hour when there's cheaper cheaper fees you know and you just see well that same you know the manager the guy that we had took him in a room and played him some of our stuff then bob took it home and uh his kids liked it <laughs> that was a big part of it the kids liked it and we didn't realize till recently again that uh that he was scouting other bands because you know a friend of ours his band apparently had an audition with bob so Bob was looking for something in Toronto, and we when we got it. So that was quite a thrill. And to the original idea was for him to mix what we'd recorded, and so he did some mixes for us. And you can hear the original version of Switching the Glide on the internet. You can find it, and that's his initial demo mix that we did. And then in the process of doing that, he said. You know, you guys are good, but you don't know what you're doing. So <laughs> I, I know what I'm doing. So <laughs> I can probably, you know, he went and got us a deal with U.S. major label and Electra Records in Los Angeles. He said, okay, we got to scrap everything you've done and start over again. And we're going, oh, no. And, but it did turn out far better in the end, yes. 
Yeah. yeah he had his tricks and his sounds and uh, his. Uh, it was a real Cinderella story. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the story goes that he 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 told you guys to go play live for about a month and then come back and re-record. Is that right? Uh, we rehearsed for a month with him in this in a re- rehearsal studio. Yeah, just drilling it over and over, drilling parts. The dr- bass and drums, me and the, our drummer, we just went over parts until we were just could you could play it in in your you know in your sleep. Mm-hmm. So tight. These guys would go for lunch and stuff, and we'd be there back there just playing the same part. Let me come back. Have you learned it? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Made sense though because it t- it came out great. Well, the bass and drums are key to a good sounding record. Yeah. goes on switching to glide obviously the, the big hit from the kings are here where did that come along in in the uh the overall songs from the album was it something that was early on that you stumbled upon did it come on later after you'd had some of the other songs written where where did it kind of slot in chronologically um it was it was the summer just before we started record it was it was almost uh, a new song I don't think we had ever played it live until after we recorded it, you know, live at a show. Mm-hmm. Trying to remember, but it was the summertime, and it must well it must have been the summer just before we started doing the album. Somewhere seventy nine or something. But we were, uh, you know, we had other songs. It was just one of those things where you're working on a bunch of songs, just because we had, you know, love, we had "Don't Let Me Know" and "Love Store" and. Partyitis, partyitis. It's okay. (laughs) And my habit was around. And, uh, you know, it was, it's kind of a blur because you're just sort of trying to get enough songs to do something. And I guess, you know, one day we said, well, we have 10 songs, so let's try to record an album. And, you know, the original versions, uh, Bob made them a lot better. Let's just say that. Well, we were, had been playing. We were playing shows locally in the, the Toronto, in the Greater Toronto area, and that's when uh, came up with the you know da 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 da. There was no song to that at first. It was just that I was tuning my guitar and sort of working on a chord progression, and he had an idea for the the lyrics, and and uh, so we had this beat goes on. That part of it already sort of written. Mm-hmm. Chord changes were Bob suggested a few chord changes, which made it a lot better. We have a there's a poster in the basement that uh, I should probably show it to you. But uh, we used to, you know, write on 
hotels, you know, we're staying in some dumpy hotel planning a <laughs> motel and in some dumpy town plan a six night bar gig. We'd use the stationery from the hotel to write the songs on. And um, there's even one, uh, I don't get it. Well, one's got the original lyrics for Switching the Glide. This oh, beat wow. goes on that has all these weird, the lyrics are just, <laughs> the lyrics are pretty wacky. <laughs> Bob was saying, well, you know, you should, uh, this doesn't really make, uh, this isn't a commercial. <laughs> this is, you got to do something here. And and uh, so Zero, you know, put on a sticking cap and uh, worked out. We came up with a name game type of idea, you know, Bo, Bo, of Hannah, Hannah, Bo, Hannah, Hannah, you know, that's like, oh, yeah, let's do something like that. And um, so there is no real Judy or Trudy, you know, or Anna or, you know, there's no, although everybody that hears the song says, that song's about me. <laughs> there's, there's chicks that have been going, living their whole lives as Judy. That's that's my song, you know, and um, but it just seemed to rhyme, right? Yeah. So you're just throwing, you're just throwing names out there and, and there's no real Donna or, or Trudy or Judy. Well, that so is here's the... Uh... This is a wrestling poster that was on a telephone pole. Wow. Outside the hotel room, motel room, Belleville, Ontario. Yeah. And we didn't have anything to write. Did you grab it off the telephone pole and start writing on it? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we didn't have any money, no paper. It's great. So there's a bunch of songs, original versions written on the back of this thing, you know? So it's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> Very cool. Stuff like that. So we had the This Beat Goes On part of the song. And then uh, this is Andy Hero Man, Love Store. And there's a few of them on here. <laughs> anyway, it's kind of a fun artifact. Oh, yeah. That's that's band folklore right there. Oh, yeah. Things on the wall. So your, your, uh, your two songs are stuck together was that the band's idea did that did Bob bring that idea to you how did that work oh, it was our idea yeah because uh, you know this beat this beat goes on and on and on and on no we didn't know how to end it <laughs> and uh I had the idea that da 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 you know it's licked This lick here, he, he says, Well, I have this idea about switching the glide. That's like thinking, da 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 switching the glide. 
And it just fits right at the end of on and on and on and on. This beat goes, da 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 You know, it just fit like it was a gift, a gift from somewhere, you know? <laughs> and that song, uh, Switching to Glide, as you go into that track, it if, if you're listening to the to this beat goes on and you're like, oh, what are they doing here? That first line lyrically drags you into the song immediately. Nothing matters but the weekend from a Tuesday point of view. One of my favorite lyrics of all time. Um, this guy did it. T- tell me how that, <laughs> how, how, what inspired that for you? Uh, I don't know. It was just one of those things that, uh, you know, he, uh, he gave me the melody, you know, cause we just exchange la la tapes and stuff like where he'll go that, so and then you try to fit something into that and then was lucky enough to come up with i I remember thinking well this is really good and it is but the next line was the hard one to get like a kettle in the kitchen i feel the steam being that took me forever (laughs) that was really hard because uh, I knew the first line was really good, and the second line had to be really good too. So I think that's about the weekend from a Tuesday point of view. Oh well, yeah, that's good. I like that. <laughs> la 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 la. <laughs> and the great thing about that line is it it works at any age. I mean, you, you're a, uh, I was a freshman in high school when that song came out, and of course, you don't school's a drag. You just can't wait to get to Friday night, go to the football game hang out with your friends, uh, go to a party maybe. And then as you get older, you're working all week and you just want to get home and and relax. (laughs) So it works from both perspectives. It does. And uh, I mean, people have, like you just said, I mean, people have said the nicest things about that line and, uh, and the comments we get on our video, um, which, you know, we try to answer them all every day. And, you know, again, it means so much to people um the, that song and and a lot of people bring up like you you know a lot of car references about hearing it and my dad had a 76 nova or whatever it was and uh you know you know he used to go around town with this blasting you know and you can just see it it's 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 really a great testament to the power of music and memory because you know how music triggers so many you hear that and you go right back in time again. Yeah. Even now you hear people say that well, I get as soon as that comes on in the car, I turn it up. You know, it's just uh it's a magnet. Yeah, it's definitely a the music's definitely a time machine, there's no question. Um it, it takes you right back to the first time you heard it or something you were doing when you heard it, that kind of thing. So uh but the the and, and also switching to glide is an interesting phrase because and, and I watched the only reason I know anything about that is because I watched your your documentary and I know that this kind of stemmed from uh was it your dad that was turning the car off as you went down a hill and yeah well we used to go to uh <laughs> you know two weeks in the summer my parents had off and we went to the u.s a lot of the time like the border's only an hour from here and so uh we'd go to some state parks in new york state uh you know one time we went down to uh South Carolina, I think, and Washington, D.C. As little kids, we're down looking at all that cool stuff. Mm. But I remember one time, you know, in a, one of these places, there was a hill, and my dad put the car in neutral, you know, and like we were, you know, 
what's this? You know, it's, <laughs> well, we're coasting or gliding. And I just thought, what would that be like to be in an airplane and shutting off the engine, which is probably pretty scary. <laughs> I would imagine <laughs> a pretty stupid idea, but uh, anyway, that's where that came from. And so um, it just came to me one day, right. And um, on Brawny road, just like, uh, that's what I remember in the, in the, in the documentary, it was right just coming up. I just went, oh, yeah, what's that? Which in the glide. Yeah. I never knew what it meant. I just, I knew you guys were from Canada and I thought that must be some like really cool slang term in Canada. <laughs> well, <laughs> I had this built up it. in my head. Yeah, sure. well, people <laughs> do ask what it means sometimes. And I usually just send them a link to the documentary that you just saw because it is explained. But it does mean you'll kick it into relaxed mode and have a good time, let your yeah. troubles roll off your back and you switch into glide. You know, nothing matters but the weekend, you know, yeah. that kind of stuff. Get your partyitis. <laughs> hate the term one hit wonder because I always feel like it's not the band's fault that they only had one hit. I think it's usually some something other some other cause, like the the, the record company didn't push the right songs at the right, right. time or, or put enough support behind it. And I certainly think there are other songs on that first album that could have been hits. How do you guys do you embrace that moniker or does it bother you? Well, as you know, we called our documentary Anatomy of a One Hit Wonder because you might as well own it if they're going to call you that. Better to have one than none. And it's a <laughs> lot. And, and it is it is a bona fide hit. Worldwide. In yep. the USA and uh, North America in general. I mean, let's face it. It's, uh, it's something that a lot of bands never did. And so we're very proud of that. And like you say, a lot of it regarding the follow-up was record company and music business politics. Mm. Mm. Yeah. yeah. And because sometimes we're it's gonna... the wrong time. Sometimes it's the, the timing of an album can can make a, a record company change gears and, and put their support behind something else because something else is hotter and fresher or some other sound. Well or, the business like the business this when we when our album first came out is this when the uh the what was it uh there's a book called Hitman. Have you ever seen that? Uh, it's written by Frederick Dannon's book about the payola scandal of the early 80s. Yeah, I've heard of it. Never caught up right in the middle of that. And it's, we're not mentioned in that book, but it was the same. They call it independent promotion, which is what all these record companies did and still do. 
you know, I mean, although it got called out at that time and DJs and that and everything went stopped happening for a little while. And then we were just right there for a second single to come out. And that's what stopped switching the glide from going into the top 10, probably because that kind of thing hit right around that same time. We did, we didn't realize it till we had lunch what, in 2019. We played in New York. Was it was a 2020, 2020, 2020, January, 2020. We, I had lunch with a uh, an executive from Electra, or yeah. Anyway, he was uh, a friend, and he said that once you got WLS as an ad, which we did, which is the second biggest AM station in the United States in Chicago, and he said once you had that ad, it should have gone to the top ten, but it was stalled because of that. Mm. So that's why we didn't get into the top forty; it only went to forty three, but. Uh, uh, it was it was it, we you know we did we didn't really know that until three years ago and so it was a drag to hear it um four years ago <laughs> yeah was there some said, relief though that knowing that there was a reason that it didn't keep climbing well I, yeah i mean well i think a big no well we didn't really know why at that particular time right what we did know was the second single that or the second release that we were going to have that was being promoted big time the DJs were, it was like, they were playing it out of the box. They weren't even having to go through the A&R director or anything. They were, they were, our second, it was Don't Let Me Know. Mm. It was being shipped to the radio stations, just automatically put it on the air. And then automatically it just stopped. Boom. It's like that. So we didn't have any second single to back up the speed switch and the glide yeah. to continue the momentum, which would have been a whole, would have changed our whole career just like that, you know, just like it's signing on a, on a contract that could change your whole life, just a little signature, you know, and that little thing, that's it. And it, it must have felt like you guys were really on your way when you did American Bandstand. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And with Jeff Beck, opening for Jeff Beck and that, uh, it was, uh, yeah, we were uh, feeling pretty good for a while. <laughs> <laughs> Let me tell you what. Kings through the years you've put out your I believe it's your seventh album H have you guys always been professional musicians have you have you supplemented your income with regular jobs and and did the you know the the occasional tour or the weekend stuff or how yeah. did you guys how did you guys go forward we all had day jobs after the initial run I mean we were playing full-time leading up to all that because we were a working bar band but after after things started to decline, you know, we all had to do other things. And so, but we always felt that uh, you can't let that kind of thing dictate your love of music or your ability to make it. And 
the desire to be creative and keeps playing and singing and recording. And we knew we still had something to give because we were doing radio and TV commercials, writing some. I was singing a bunch of them, and uh, we were writing. We did a few um, campaigns for for different products. We have a great Pepsi commercial that we did. Oh, yeah. We got a great. (laughs) And we've even thought about Resurrect or just changing the name, not make it Pepsi, make it something else. Yeah. Or just approach Pepsi, because that's a great jingle. It was on Canadian radio, and uh, yeah, it's really good. It's a, it's a real rocking King's Pepsi commercial. Yeah. 30 seconds, I guess. Yeah, 30 seconds. You know, but yeah. it's because uh, sometimes we're playing a, some, one of our songs we play, and it's got the similar beat, and we start singing that, and it's like, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Well, right, and uh, that's a good one. But then, yeah, no, we had we all had to make a living, and uh, you know, the time goes on, and you get families, and uh, so. Uh, but we all we always stayed. We've always, you know, we've never played with any other band like old time. We've jammed quite a bit with some local guys around, and but we've always just been uh, Diamond and Zero. Dizzy does it, you know. Mm, the new is. album. Have you seen this? Yeah, it's, it's great. great. And who did the artwork for this? Um, well, I, I was trying to organize a cover and, um, with a professional designer and that didn't pan out. And I thought that, uh, the cat we were at a gig, a summer gig party, a farm party. And then zero took this picture of the dog. And I thought that it was, uh, I knew I had that picture lying around and I thought, you know, why not just, I always liked it. And another photo from my family history is the cover of our Unstoppable album, which is a picture that uh, my uh, my mom took of my dad at a New Year's Eve party in like 1960 or some bloody thing. And it's a great album cover as well. Um, one of those over there? Uh, someone will find it. But yeah, so he was asking who's playing on the album. It's... Um... Everybody but Max Styles, pretty much. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> We've had our drummer, Todd, since 2007 now. Uh-huh. So he's the new guy. And uh, Peter Nunn, our, one of our keyboard players. Uh, and Sonny is back in the fold. He's been playing shows with us now again. He wants to do it. His kids are uh, growing up now. So he's, he's into playing shows. Um, so we're happy to have him. Oh, you see, this is all wrapped up. You see the guy playing drums? Yeah. Yeah. I'm trying to get the light out of it. Yeah, it's a little shiny with the cellophane on it. Yeah, it's still wrapped. Still wrapped. But that's Zero's dad. They're at a party. Wow. So t- <laughs> lady playing a washtub bass, you know, that kind of. It's really, it's, it's different that you're not going to see. It's not a cookie cutter album cover, you know, it's mm-hmm. unique. Says, you know, what are you going to put on an album? You can do anything. It's got to be something like these guys. Sonny's uh, the guy that really, if you want you watch these old clips of you guys, Sonny's the one that stands out for his jumping around. Um, <laughs> it, it's it, it's an amazing amount of energy. I get tired just watching him. Um, but uh, yeah, it's it's good that he's still uh, or that he's back in the mix and and. Um, you know, doing live. He still, he still kicks his. He still, he still. When we rehearse, he he lives in Victoria, British Columbia, right now. So, 
when we rehearse here at our rehearsal studio, we we videotape it and then we we send we send him a copy so he can practice. I guess he plays it and so he, well, he's practicing, he's practicing, jumping around. He doesn't, you know, kick as quite as high as he used to, obviously. Like, <laughs> like none of us really <laughs> jump around very much anymore. But he he says that when he practices at home, he does all that at home. <laughs> you know, in his uh, bedroom or wherever his spare room where he does it, which I'm sure his wife must love. <laughs> <laughs> they fall him off the shelf, you know. Yeah. But yeah, no, he's quite. Uh, Sonny's great, and and we're really happy that he's back uh, playing with us. And that uh, especially because these days you go to see a band, and you're lucky if there's one original member. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Whereas we have three, and they're all the main front line guys. You know, we have a better drummer now. That's the only difference. Yeah, and I mean Todd's a great singer as well, so it adds a whole other you know sound to what we're doing, and. So you get three, yeah. You know, because you know Randy Backman and uh, Burton are suing that guess who band that are out there now. Mm. You know, that are. I mean, there's a whole dispute about. Uh, of course, Miles Goodwin just died. April Wine, they're still out playing, but he, we saw them last summer, and um, I mean, they sound great. They're really he he picked the guys that are in the the, the new April Wine band. And whether or not he knew that his days were numbered when he did that, that's uh, who knows. But and, you know, I'm sure they pay a percentage to his estate or his, you know, his family, which only makes sense. You know, and yeah. that way you keep the music alive. And another band from Canada, Teenage Head, our friends from Hamilton, just the next city over here, um, you know, there are two main there's guitar player Gord just got died two, th three years three years ago, and uh, Frank, their singer, died in 07 or something. Um, well, it's not the same band anymore. It's the not one the guy same, but they're out playing uh, with the uh, you know under the auspices of the the original bass player, who's the, uh, the only original guy. But he wants to do it, so keep the music alive. What's wrong with that? You know. Yeah, I believe that's the case with Quiet Riot right now. They got Rudy Sarzo, but no, none of the other. Uh, classic members original members and foreigner some nights there's no original members of foreigner oh. playing on the stage. <laughs> yeah it's amazing eh? well we saw the pbs special on foreigner where lou graham came out and sang some songs um because they have a singer mm -hmm. uh, like you know some younger he's not young but he's you know he's younger and he does a lot of rock star moves and all this kind of stuff and then lou graham came out and just sang was standing there and it was like yeah, <laughs> That's, he's the man for sure.
speaking of singing, uh, David, I, I, I'm curious. You have, um, you have your own sound. You have times when you've got a, a very smooth delivery, and then other times when you make it, you gruff it up a little bit. Who are some of the the vocalists that kind of um, inspired or or informed your singing style? Uh, that's a good question. Um, I remember, uh, like like again, Beatles stuff. All the you know, all three singer the main singers, George, Paul, and John. I used to sing all kinds of Beatles stuff. But then there was Van, some Van Morrison stuff, like and uh, um, you know. Uh, I don't know. It's I just I don't know. I've I've been singing all my life. I was I've been in choirs, and I was in the Sunday school choir. And uh, I don't know if I've actually really studied any one particular singer. I just uh, do it. Um, do what I feel. That's all. I think I, it's hard to say. Really, I don't know. And and like I said earlier, the Beach Boy harmonies. I love that kind of stuff. You know, singing clean. And then I like the. I get the growl out, you know, like early Alice Cooper stuff, and uh, you know, it's. Uh, I think it was, uh, you know, some Johnny Winter in there too. You know, Johnny, yeah, I sang a lot of Johnny you know, Rock and Roll Hoochie Coo with uh, Rick Derringer, and you know the Johnny Winter thing because, well, Johnny really growled it up, you know. Yeah, yeah that's true too. I sang a lot of that stuff in the day back before King's Day. You know, da da with that stone da 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 da. I was born in a cross. You know, jumping jack flash. Jumping jack flash. You know, did a great version of that. You know, but I don't know. I couldn't nail down any one particular thing that I, I I really followed closely to learn from. You know, uh, I even like some great gal singers. You know, Barbara Streisand and stuff. I like her breath, her breath work that she uses. And I try to, I try to sing from their diet. You know, I try to sing professionally, way, the professional way of singing. And. Um, you know, so I can change it up that way. I don't have to just be one one voice. Yeah, yeah. So you know, when when you uh, you want to go for a little bit more power, a little bit more edge to your voice, and then there's times when you kind of pull it back and you you go melodic. Yeah, it's good. And he quit smoking. Yeah, I quit smoking it almost nine years ago now. Wow! Congratulations. Thank you. <laughs> that 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 made a big difference in the in the longevity of it all because he's his. Vocals on the new album are, you know, I mean, everybody's voice ages differently, but there, it's there's not a sea change from the Kings are here to the longest story ever told. You can tell there's a, a difference and more maturity to it, but it's not, you know, it doesn't sound like a completely different singer. No, no, actually, there was a few, there's a couple older songs that we had some vocals on already that uh, I added a few new parts to that uh, we didn't have to change the key or anything, just, uh, just, open up the mic and I'll plug in a few new lines here and there. And it's like, Whoa, it sounds just the same. <laughs> it's yeah. pretty amazing. We all were going, wow, not bad. <laughs> so 10, not new, bad old fart. 10 new songs on the, on the new album. And it's, um, I find some of this stuff very interesting. The, the longest story ever told is the, is the title track, obviously. And then you've got this really beautiful ballad when dreams come true that follows it. And there's a line in this thing. It says, "Back to the story, uh, something about where, uh, where, where and who knows where end? the story ends." Does that is that was that an intentional callback to the title track, or was that a happy accident? So you sequenced the album that way. Uh, I think that that's that the dreams come true was 
we had that written before we we the Dave brought longest story to the table. Okay. Yeah, so I guess it and so it wasn't intent. If it sounds that way, it wasn't really intentional. But I see, I see what you're saying. Yeah, yeah, the uh, uh, yeah. I mean, that song is uh, "Dreams Come True" is kind of about you know a life changing experience. And and uh, one of this woman that we know said that could be the greatest wedding song ever because it's about second chances, you know, and about having um, something happened that you don't expect and and that can change your life and and just you know like meeting the right person at the right time and uh, and that's kind of the idea behind it and back to the story where you know where does the story end and you just when you're adrift you don't know what's going to happen mm. and then but in a moment your world can change and so that's the uh you never know what might happen. So the ballad was written before the title track, the title track precedes it on the, on the record. I just, it just really works well lyrically with that callback to the previous song. Oh, that's great. That's a new take on that. You don't think you've discovered that's new. Uh, Start using that in other interviews. Yeah. We'll steal your idea. Just start (laughs) saying we did that on purpose. Just making us look smarter. Thanks. Thanks, Michael. Speaking of callbacks uh, in the title track, you, you get to, you get to lyrically call back to your hit. You get to say on and on and on. Oh yeah, uh, just like you did, and this beat goes on. Uh, was that intentional, or was that just another happy? Yeah, no, I think it was on and on. That's the longest story. It's part of it, but it's just that you know, and it is the story of the band. You know, we started off all fresh and uh, young whippersnappers, you know, and then uh, we get some success, and then we then we cruise along for a while, and then we don't have anything. We're you know waiting for some satisfaction for a change, and. And we write a new song, and then that powers through. It makes, it makes the story live and new, and it goes on and on. The story's still going on. So it is, this beat goes on. Yes. Yeah. And it's <laughs> what I like about it, too, is it's it's the longest song on the album. <laughs> it's starting to go back to that prog rock stuff right yeah. the longest story ever the longest story ever told is five minutes 46 seconds it's the longest song in the album and then the, the only one that's even close is circle of friends and man that i am which is two songs kind of stuck together the way that you did with switching to glide and this beat goes on and that's the one we worked with bob Isren on yeah bob bob mixed that one and we had seven different mixers on this album because we're quite capable of producing ourselves mm-hmm. With our good engineer Chris Snow, and but getting that mix done—that's what makes it sound like a real record, and that's what we needed to do. And the first one that we did was "Circle of Friends" and "Man That I Am." So, so we approached Bob Ezrin um, again after all these years, and we'd run into him here and there, but there'd been some bad blood as well, mm-hmm. and so. Um, but that's all cleared up. That's yeah, great. so we like sent it to him. Now. We sent it to him, and ten minutes later, he agreed to email back and said, "Yeah, I'll do it." You know, and then we knew we go, "Okay, this is let's okay." Now we got some. We got him in our pocket to do one song. Now we can use that. Yeah, to see how what else we can do. You and know? so that went led. That was the first song completed on this thing, and then then we went back in the studio and started working on all this other stuff, but. We used Bob's mix as a template for comparing everything else. 
as the sessions went along and we had different people mixing and we'd say, you know, it's got to sound this good. <laughs> it's got to be at least like Bob sound. Yeah. At least that good. And then because you have different people, we had, I mean, the song you just mentioned, um, Dreams. When, when Dreams Come True, that was mixed by Terry Brown, who was Rush's producer for many, very, many years. Very famous Rush producer, yeah. Yeah, yeah. he did that. And we never even met him because of COVID. It was all done on the uh, internet. Really? Yeah. 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 And he wouldn't, obviously, didn't want anybody in the studio. And so we we, we never even met him. <laughs> That's amazing. And there's uh, Garth Richardson mixed... Uh, uh, nowhere to go but gone nowhere to go the second track and he's jack richardson's son who he did uh rage against the machine and some other big bands but his dad was jack richardson who was bob ezrin's mentor back at who produced the guess who back in the nimbus nine days so that's yeah, his so son who makes, that's his son who makes that and so and then the guy harry hess who's a singer in a band called uh harem scarum he mastered our album this album he mixed a couple tracks and he mastered it as well and that's you'd think that with all these different producers it would be a whole different sound from each one of them but harry was able to it sounds like a continuous flow on the album like yeah. there's no jarring sonic differences no yeah you wouldn't there's different styles of mixing there's different styles but they all fit in the same parameter of the sound of the album you know it's just great yeah you wouldn't you wouldn't guess these are different different uh, mixers and producers no. How did uh, how did Terry's involvement uh, happen? Did, you were just looking for some some more people to. Um, to yeah, well, I think it was through um, uh, yeah. Gary Craig, my buddy, the drummer, and uh, he he had done s some stuff with him. Gary's a great drummer who's he played with Anne Murray for twenty five years. He's been in every big time sort of Canadian. Uh, Tom Cochran and Jan Arden and uh, Bruce Coburn and he's played drums with a lot of people and he's played in, in some American things as well with the he played in the house band for that this TV show Nashville when they did their uh, their tours with their cast and crew from the TV show he was the drummer in that and so um, he's been in a lot of sessions played a lot of great shows and he he's a friend of Terry's and so he said you know Terry's pretty affordable <laughs> and that was the key to the whole deal here was that i mean bob was 
the far outside the range of what we could afford. But we thought if we could get that, then we could save money. That would open the doors to get some other people involved. And then we tried to get other people for a certain price point. Mm. Remember, this is an independent album here. We're, yeah. not, you know, we're not signed with any big label. So we yeah, put so this together on our own dime. Basically. Yeah. And so it took a long time. And, and that's when we were able to approach um, Terry and work out a thing with him. And we also approached through another friend of ours, Greg Godovitz. We approached uh, Eddie Kramer, who was, you know, Jimi Hendrix's producer. Because mm. he lives up here. Um but he was just outside the price range that we could afford. Uh, he gave us a deal for two songs, but it was still too much money. Mm. But we were excited about it. We talked to him on the phone and we sent him the songs and he agreed, okay, I'd like to do these two. We just couldn't make it happen. Yeah. And we, you know what's cool is that we sent these folks these songs. They know Switch to the Glide and all that, you know, the speed switching. But for them to actually come back to us and say, well, I like this. I like your song. You know, they, I like what you're doing here. And that, you know, that just keeps us figuring. I think we're doing we're doing something right. You know, we're still right. Like our goal is to write good, good songs. Like, you know, um, ones that will last a long time. Because there's so many, so much music out there now. You know, in six months, you never, you'll never hear it again ever in your life type of thing. You know, I don't like that. Very disposable uh, commodity oh, now. Music. There's no song songs anymore, you know. Sort of. And you know, God bless them, but all these Nashville, like this modern country, it's just pickup trucks and you know, getting drunk. Every one of them. Yeah. <laughs> What's wrong with that? <laughs> He's got a pickup truck. We both like getting drunk, but. <laughs> But yeah, uh, but not every song has to be like that, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, you guys have stayed true to yourselves too. This is a collection of largely good time, fun party rock, uh, very very strong power pop vibes through it, and and I especially really like the first. I mean, right off the bat, the first three tracks, always off the deep end, nowhere to go but gone, and and the title track are all great. And then the, you got the, the ballad, and then really like Circle of Friends, man that I am, and a rose for your stone, which. Uh, again, that was a that was a, a a lyric. I wasn't I wasn't familiar with with that. It 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 seems to have maybe a connotation of, of visiting a, a grave. But um, you know, tell me a little bit about uh, Rose for your stone. exactly what it is is a guy uh he dave had the music for it with the opening lick and everything and it just sounded to both of us like 
a spaghetti western or El Paso by Marty Robbins. Yeah, I was thinking, I haven't heard a good a song like that for a while, I know, with that kind of a spaghetti western sound, like the good, the bad, and the ugly, sort of, in a way, you know, that kind of. So I came up with the, with the melody and that, and um, I was saying, well, we should, it should be some, like, something like that, a spaghetti western or something. Then we sort of worked on a storyline, and Z came up with that idea of the, and then, then the anti hero man. Yeah, and then it turned into this thing that was six and a half, seven minutes long. <laughs> yeah. We had this long. It was we could have written a movie. The song kept going on and on. You were, and on. You were making oh. a soundtrack. <laughs> it was a whole screenplay in this stupid thing. And, and that's that's when our engineer, we played it, Chris, we played it for him. And he said, you got to cut it in half. <laughs> <laughs> we got this piece of Bristol board. There was, there was so much lyrics. The, the, the Bristol board, it went on. And just keep on. Anyway, yeah, yeah, the back of a wrestling poster with that. Oh, yeah. Um, this is bigger than that. Even. <laughs> and there was cutouts on it that you could lift up and look at the old ones. And the new ones <laughs> were taped on it. It was it was too much, and then so finally that was written really during COVID. I remember being in, like, oh, yeah. you know, there was nothing else to do, and that's why it kind of just went way way over. So we did cut it in half and 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 chopped it down to uh, look at this is like show and tell here. Show and tell. This is the kind of stuff we were working on. We have put it up on a board. Put it up on a board. Start working on it. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> Well, my this is my house. My house is full of all kinds of wacky meat stuff. I tell you, and I love so, that you guys keep this stuff. It's great. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Why not? We got a good wall of stuff, the gold records and stuff down. Uh, we finally got our platinum album for uh, the Kings Are Here and the gold oh, single for uh, Switching the Glide and uh, and because of Switching the, the Speed Switching, we got into the uh, Canadian Songwriters Hall of Fame. Yeah. And that's maybe the biggest honor that that we've had to be recognized as as songwriters, because like I said earlier, that was the whole goal here was to see if we could do that. And it's a great honor to be part of that organization. Sure. Yeah. Congratulations on that honor. That's uh, and I think it's a deserving one. That's um, I mean, most bands don't have any songs like that in their catalog or, or, or something <laughs> that good. Well, yeah, that's what we always say. There's only one of those in the whole world. We own it. <laughs> we wrote it. And somebody said there was never anything like it before, and there's never been anything like it since, which is pretty true. It's pretty wacky. Yeah. Yeah, and, and, and it's another reason why I don't think of you as a one-hit wonder, because it's technically two songs. <laughs> That's right. There you go. <laughs> I like uh, that. We like you, Michael. I wasn't dreaming And I was always first that said Dreams come true
wrote it and recorded it mainly during the uh, during the COVID uh, oh, the album, pandemic. Yeah. So you guys were in your home studios then. Well, Chris, our engineer, he's got uh, it's Pro Tools and all that. About, we did the drums in real studios because mm. it's important to be in a real room with real mics and a real soundboard and an SSL and all that kind of stuff. That was just before COVID. We did some stuff yeah. just like because COVID started what in 2020, really. Mm-hmm. So just previous to that was when we we were with with Bob Ezrin and uh, we were down in Nashville. With, we mixed it in Nashville with Bob. So just before the COVID days, we were actually able to get into a couple of real studios and do the drums, get the drums all. And then, bam, you know, it just we we were couldn't do anything anyway for a while. And then near the end of it, we were lucky enough to do like Rose for Your Stone, the drums in uh, Hamilton, right? Yeah, at that other. Uh, Halo studio, but but Chris has a good setup in his basement, just uh, not too far from where I live. That's maybe twenty minutes, twenty five minutes for Dave to go there, so ten minutes for me, and he's got a basement set up. But the thing about Chris Snow, uh, he's just lightning fast with the recording Pro Tools and the techniques involved, and you know the, the modern the modern way of recording is you know so much faster than. And if you like a th- something that that's in one verse, you can just cut and paste it into every verse. <laughs> yeah, not like the old days. You know, if you've done it right once, yeah, you only have yeah. to play it right once, and you can move it everywhere. Uh, not that we would do that. No, no, no. no. You're not not working then, on so, it with tape, where you have to play it all the way through oh, perfectly. Yeah. Back in the day, way I mean, that those first two albums we did with Bob, he had pieces of two-inch tape, little wee bits of two-inch tape. Keep that. That's one beat. I'm gonna need that later on. Just place in, you know, and all. The, and we had we had loops of tapes go on. It was insane. He was a wizard with a razor blade. Yeah, you know, you put it down. You did with the cutting on an angle and edit and stuff. Crazy oh. stuff. Just like you get there, you gotta cut there. But now it's just beat. Okay, done. Yeah, cut, cut and paste, copy and paste. And that's how we got to do a lot of the mixing and and tracks as well was over the internet. The and that song "Rose for Your Stone," the trumpet player lives in Spain. Mm. <laughs> yeah, actually, our, we thought it would be neat to have a Tex-Mex kind of sound on that. Uh, a "Rose for Your Stone" song. Uh, yeah. So Sonny came up in Victoria, BC, uh, with a horn part that he played on his keyboard with a horn trumpet sound. And we thought, well, that's got some good stuff in it. But we thought it sounds too perfect. And so I went on this website called Fiverr, F-I-V-E-R-R, which is a like a worldwide uh, community of, of people who do videos or play instruments or promote your song or what, everything in the creative world. And I just looked up trumpet players and uh, I found a guy in Spain <laughs> and he agreed to do it, and so he set on the tracks, and he just he he tran- he wrote it all out and played a harmony part for it, and and did an amazing job, and it was like 160 bucks. <laughs> yeah, you send it back, beep, send it back. No, okay, we like this part. Can you just change this a little bit? Send it back to him, beep, beep. Yeah, and then, unbelievable. The and modern. Then, then we had a guy, Michael V. Bloom, in L.A. mix it, so it was. we recorded it here in ontario the horn part was written in british columbia the trumpet the trumpets were played in spain and it was mixed in la (laughs) 
That's the modern, and that's what the internet's supposed to be. Not all this other bad stuff going on, but this is production. You are 100% correct. That is absolutely true. So do either of you have a favorite song on this record? Hmm. Well, I, I don't know. We've, we made, we've made five videos for it now. We just finished up the new one this week. So there's, you know, spent a lot of time looking at them. And uh, um, I don't know if I have a favorite one or not. I, I really, the next one will probably, the video I think we might try to do is She Don't Fool Around, uh, the second last song. Mm. The album ends with three really rocking songs. Yeah. It's like there's sort of accessible songs before that, but the last three are really pretty heavy duty. And that's uh, my heart lies there. <laughs> I like that. It's like either clean shot, she don't fool around, or triangle blues. You know, yeah. they're very, uh, they're more of a harder edge and maybe less palatable to some people because they're so rocky, but uh, I think they're great. And I might like the longest story and I know so. Those are my, I guess, and but then Dreams is good, but they're all, fuck, they're all good. There are babies. You can't pick one child, can you? No. But so I like, Zero <laughs> likes to rock out, so I learned that today. Yeah. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. Well, you, I know can, you... you can pick a favorite child, can't you? <laughs> <laughs> you can. It's the dirty little secret is everybody has one, but nobody wants to. <laughs> Mom always liked me best. <laughs> but love it. Love the dog with his head in the cat door. Oh, that's a great, uh, yeah. great picture. So, so look, yeah, so we have so nowhere to go but gone. We've got, there's going to be a new video for it coming out very soon. Next week or two. I think that's what we're going to call our, our second single off of this album. The first one was uh, Deep End. Mm -hmm. The summer, it's, you know, this kind of stuff. So summer's coming again soon, but uh, nowhere to go but gone. It's a road trip song, and uh, it's about traveling through the USA and Canada on the road. So good. Nothing like a road trip.
Um, right. so you guys have, uh, how many times have you been able to play some of these new songs out live? I know you've got a, a show coming up, I think in April with glass tiger. Yeah. And, uh, see, we've been playing, um, we've done a few and, you know, the, these kind of gigs that we're doing, I think they give you a, um, like, we like to be a part of a festival thing or an opening act slot. We don't think we're a headline band because we don't have 10 hits. Mm. We're a great opening band. So we're, everybody a great, loves. we're a great support band. And we have lots of great songs. And then there's the one that everybody knows and they go crazy and they pull out their phones, and <laughs> which is great, right? <laughs> yeah. So, uh, but, so for 45 minutes or an hour... We do pretty good. Yeah. I would think it would be hard to follow you guys, especially you know back in the day when you guys were all jumping up and down, crazy. Oh, and, yeah. uh, <laughs> well, that was uh, that was a long time ago. Those, yeah. We don't, yeah, <laughs> exactly not as much jumping nowadays, but uh, no, we stand now. We just stand and deliver. <laughs> there you go. There you go. So the album is called "The Longest Story Ever Told." Came out in twenty twenty three. Is the best place to buy it from your website? Yeah, that's where you can get the uh, the link to the physical copies of it, and of course, it's on uh, all the digital. Uh, it's on Spotify and all the rest of those things as well. And all the kings are here. dot com. Uh, that, that's our at. You know, if you go even just type in switching, you'll it goes straight to the kings. Yeah, but the other uh, our website is the kings are here. dot com. Our Facebook page is the kings are here. Our YouTube channel is The Kings Are Here, so it's pretty easy to find us. And on Spotify, like you said, about you know, there's 75, 80 Kings songs on there. So there's a lot. There's three over three or four hours of Kings music. If you want to dig deep into the the anthology album that we did, is on there. Um, there's lots of obscure deep cuts, and you know. And then there's the Heat Wave, the Live at Heat Wave album that we did too. Um, and there's a, there's a movie of that, which you might have seen, um, <laughs> which was filmed just before, it was August of 80, just before we went on the road in the US when the album was just coming out. We played a big festival near Toronto with the Talking Heads and Pretenders uh, and Pretenders, Costello and the B-52s and... Uh, and that, that that's a real testament to the band that we were then with the you talk about the jumping around boy there's a lot of that on there yeah. <laughs> and we and we're playing and singing and there's not a mistake you know we're, we, you're thinking about you think we, we look at it and go how the hell do we did that how did we do that you know <laughs> it's a mystery because it was some kind of gift we had that day oh we were young. <laughs> there you go. There you go. We were, had party itis. <laughs> <laughs> had party so I can't promise, like, check out the Kings on uh, on any of the streaming services. Uh, I can't promise that you'll necessarily like anything more than switching <laughs> to Glide This Beat Goes On. Because, I mean, let's face it, those songs are already ingrained in your brain. But I will tell you, there are plenty of worthwhile songs on the Kings albums over the years. And if you if you like the Kings are here, you're going to like the, the longest story ever told. It's, it's right. not... It's not a, a a huge change from from what the you know the party rock that you know and love. It's the you know these are just they're new songs, so it's just more for your listeners to enjoy. Yeah, thanks very much thanks for saying so that, Michael. Michael. Yes. So thank you uh, 
David Diamond and Mr. Zero, thank you so much for your time. I appreciate you telling me about this record. I, I okay. hope that it does very well for you. And uh, keep rocking, guys, because uh, you're still bringing it. Okay. Well, thanks thank so much for so saying much. that. If we ever make it, like, do you live in Florida? Is that your full-time place there? I well, maybe if we get down there, we should uh, hook up or something. You know, who knows? Absolutely. If I see something where you guys are going to come down here, I would love to go see you guys live. I've never been able to do that. So we'll we'll do that. Right on. Thank you, Michael. Michael's Record Collection is hosted and produced by Michael Citro. Logo graphic courtesy of Jerry Cutchins. Follow Michael's Record Collection on social media at Mike's Records on Twitter and Michael's Record Collection on Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram. If you like what you hear, you can support the show through our Patreon at patreon.com slash michaelsrecordcollection. For the free newsletter version, go to substack.com and just type Michael's Record Collection into the search bar. Thanks for listening. We can, you know, we can keep going on. You know, we got a lot of other stories we can tell you, but you know, that's enough for now.